All right, so today I'm going to take you guys on a journey, but it's a little bit long. It's not going to be that long, but it's a little bit long. But if you guys can just stay with me, okay? Um, Emmaus, right? Where did we get our name from? Emmaus Campus Ministry. Who knows where Emmaus is from? Anybody know? Huh? The Bible, yes. Very good, Bernadette. It's from chapter. It, it's from a chapter in Luke, right? Chapter 24. It's called On the Road to Emmaus. That's what the account is called. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles and a notebook and a pen, I encourage you guys to take it out right now. Take some notes. Taking notes is very good. And if you're taking notes, the sermon title today is very simple. It's On the Road to Emmaus. Okay, so that is the sermon title, On the Road to Emmaus, right? So if, I'll give you guys a moment to take out your notes. Okay, phones, cool. That's good too. Um, okay, so in order to understand what went down on the road to Emmaus, we need to backtrack a few chapters before and examine the life of Jesus before his crucifixion and resurrection. So I'm going to walk you guys through that, okay? So in Luke chapter 22, right, we see Judas, his plot to kill, or not to kill, to betray Jesus, right? And we also see Jesus' last meal with his disciples, Uh, when I was researching, I found it very fascinating that, you know, Jesus knew that he was going to die, right? He knew he was going to go to the cross. He was going to die for all of our sins. But in spite of that, he chose to spend his last moments on earth with his disciples, right? His very last moments on earth before he would die, right, physically, he decided to spend that time uh, with his disciples. And it wasn't just chilling either. Every single moment he spent with them, he was teaching them, exhorting them, right? And so I thought that was very important, right? And so um, Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray, right? This is where we hear that famous line where Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, please remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, right? And then his disciples go up to the mountain with him to pray with him, okay? And what Jesus says before he goes off on his own, he tells his disciples, pray, that you, pray so that you will not fall into temptation, right? But what happens when Jesus comes back to his disciples, Does anybody know? Yeah, he comes back and they're all sleeping, right? Right, so what does Jesus say, right? Jesus says, you know, what are you doing, right? Wake up, pray, pray so that you will not fall into temptation. But the thing is, the disciples, right, it says that they uh, were sleeping for sorrow. That's what the ESV version says. In NIV, it says, when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow, Okay, or the NKJV says he found them sleeping from sorrow. Okay, so what do we know from that? We know that the disciples understood they knew, right? They were sad because they knew Jesus was going to leave them. They knew Jesus was going to go on the cross. So they felt the emotions, but rather than praying, what do they do? They're sleeping, right? And I think what Jesus says is uh, really amazing because the thing is, You, can, you can't imagine the emotions that Jesus is feeling at that moment, right? He's praying and he's like, God, please remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Because he's about to die on the cross for the sins of mankind, right? But he comes back to his disciples and they're all sleeping, right? Because they're sad, but they're sleeping, right? And what does he say to them? He, he tells them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Right? He doesn't say, rise and pray for me. Pray for me because I'm about to die, right? He's saying pray for yourselves because he understood that when he went to the cross, the things that the disciples were going to have to go through, the hardships, he knew them very well. Right? He knew. So he's saying rise and pray for yourselves because it's going to get tough from now on, right? That's what he doesn't say rise and pray for me, right? They were followers of Jesus and following would now bring a testing and a trial that they could, that they could have never imagined, right? So when he says 
fall, I pray that you may not fall into temptation. What is temptation? What is he talking about? He's talking about Satan's traps, right? Right? Deception. He's talking about uh, falling away, right? From the Lord, right? And um, how many, how many of us know that following Jesus isn't the easiest thing to do? Raise your hands. Let's be honest, right? (laughs) A lot of you guys are very honest. Pastor John, whoa. All right. Yeah, following Jesus is very difficult. I know that on this side of the cross, following Jesus is very difficult. How do I know? Because the life that I lived, right? And so a little bit about my testimony. I grew up in the church. Uh, I grew up, I went out to church since I was in second grade, but I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Um, So I went on, I went on in my own, right? To just be with my friends. Um, But I was always serving. I grew up serving in the church because in America and California, that's kind of what you just do. You, You serve, right? You serve and you serve and you serve. Um, but the problem was, is in the midst of serving, that's great. But I did not know God personally. I did not have a personal relationship with God. I didn't pray. I didn't read the word. I didn't understand anything. He was just kind of in my mind, right? But as I started going out in high school, uh, naturally, I just fell into a lot of, you know, growing up in a Korean-American culture uh, where Christianity is very culture Christianity. It's like you just go on the weekends because you're supposed to and then, on the weekdays, you do whatever you want, right? And so I left the church eventually because I, I chose drugs. I know it doesn't look like it, but I did a lot of drugs. I did a lot of ecstasy. I smoked a lot of weed. And I actually drank a lot. I drank so much, so much. And I, I did fall into a lot of sexual sin, right? I did a lot of things that I didn't want people to know. So I became very good at hiding things as well. So, you know, my parents, now they know. But for a long time, they thought I was like this perfect daughter, you know, the, you know, because I did well in school. I was a good, bad kid. Good, bad kid. I was very bad, but I was good at the same time, you know. And so I would study on the weekdays, and the weekends I would go crazy. But on Sundays I would never party. Why? Because it's a school night, you know. And so that's the way I was. Um, in the midst of this, in 2010, I came out to Korea, and that was when, um, in the midst of when I wasn't going out to church at all. And in that picture you guys saw, I, I did not go to church. I just came out here and partied. That's all I did for like three months in the summer. Um, and then uh, I went back home. And then I guess the turning point of my life was not necessarily at church. It was actually when I was like doing drugs. And so, you know, God meets you in very unique places, okay? Right? Whatever like box you have that, you know, salvation and all these things only happen at, at church in the altar. That's not true. God can meet you anywhere. He met me at my friend's house when I was very high off ecstasy. Very, very high, and I, I kind of had this epiphany in my mind, and I was thinking, and if you guys know about the drug, I don't know why I'm teaching you guys about this, but it is important. Okay, if you guys know about ecstasy, it's this drug that it releases all your, like, happy, happy genes, right? Endorphins? Endorphins, right? All at once. So you just get really happy. You just get happy. You say, I'm, dude, I love you, man. Hey, can I give you a massage? Hey, like, I, I really love you. You're like my best friend, you know? And like, hey, can I get you some water? Like, that's how you are when you're on that drug. But I was sitting there by myself, and I was thinking in my mind, and I was like, dang, what am I doing with my life? I look at everyone here, and, you know, there's, like, light shows going on, and there's weird massages going on, and this is just not, like, this is not normal. If anyone walked in here, they'd think we're crazy, right? And so I had this epiphany, and so I went home that night, and I think uh, if you asked me what was the most, like, bottom pit that I've ever experienced in my life, it was that very night. Because because it releases all your endorphins, you hit a depression, like a straight up, you hit the ground. 
really hard. And so that night, I never felt so depressed in my life. I think it was the longest 24 hours of my life. I remember I was laying in bed. I was so sad. I was like, I don't understand what's going on. My life sucks, you know? And I, I was trying to go to sleep, but I couldn't go to sleep. So I took a NyQuil, and it still didn't work, right? And so um, that was a night where I really realized that something's wrong with the way that I'm living life, and I need to change. But it wasn't necessarily like, I need God. It was more like, I just need some change. And um, then, I, you know, I quit I quit doing drugs. I told my friends, like, hey, you know, I want to do that stuff anymore, but I know you guys do it all the time, so I'm just going to, like, separate myself from you for a little bit. Um, but I still drink a lot. Like, so I wouldn't do drugs, but I'll still get drunk, like, all the time, right? And so I did that for a while, but also I had the same epiphany. When I was really drunk one night, I was sitting with people. God, you know, like, works through weird places, but I was, I was really drunk one night, and I was with people that were a lot older than me. I, I grew up with a lot of people hanging out with friends that were three, four years older than me, and I was sitting with them, and I was looking at them, and I was like, man, I'm like, I'm like, like, 19 years old, and you guys are like 24, and man, when I am being 24, I don't want to be sitting at a bar with, like, underage people, you know, this is not what I want to do, like, this, I actually want to do something with my life, you know, and, and I wasn't judging them, actually, I guess maybe I was, in my mind, I was judging a little bit, but I think it was in that moment I realized, dang, I really, really need to stop this life that I'm living, right, yeah, I said no to drugs, but I'm still drinking like crazy, you know, I'm still giving my life away in that sense, and so, at this point, I, I told my drinking friends, like, you know, hey, I need some time, like, separate myself from you but um i had no friends at that point you know I, I said no to my drug friends i said no to my drinking friends i had no one so what what did i think of i thought of church why because in the past like brought the past like three years that i wasn't attending they were still the ones that kind of would reach out to me i would see them at starbucks i'm like smoking and i like, staring them down like don't come up to me but they still lovingly like give me this look like hey i'm praying for you kind of thing yeah. and so like you know so i remembered i was like hey, i don't have friends to go to but, you know, I have, at least I have church. You know, it's going to be the place where they're going to accept me, right? And so I went out to church. And, um, yeah, long story short, I think at church, I didn't have some crazy encounter moment. But it was just attending church, just being there with my church friends. I think I felt and experienced this joy in me that I never experienced the past, like, three years of me doing drugs. And it lasted. I would leave the building, and I'm at home, and I'm just happy. I'm, like, doing VBS stuff, and it's just making me so happy, right? And it's when I realized there's something about God. There's something about being at church where the presence of God is that makes me come alive, that makes me feel safe and feel a joy, right? So I started going back at the church, and then, um, you know, I had the opportunity to study abroad again in 2012. And so I was, at that point, I was very scared. I was like, okay, uh, in 2010, I came out. I did nothing good with my life. But in 2012, I'm going out for longer. I'm going for a year. So I, you know, I told myself, okay, either it's going to be very, very good, right? It's going to be good for me, or I'm going to, like, fall off the face of the earth. And it's going to be really bad. But um, I studied international studies, so I had to kind of go out. So I came out here. Um, and, yeah, God didn't waste any time. He led me directly to Emmaus, which is really crazy. At orientation, I was here. I was lost. I ran to two Emmaus students who took me to orientation. Right, a lot of you guys saw me speaking at your orientation, right? So I saw Pastor Erin, who's the lead pastor of our church, New Philly. She was up there, and she was speaking about Emmaus. I was like, oh, Christian club, English people, English-speaking people, I should join, you know? And so, actually, I don't know. Did I meet you, Matko, that day? Were you not there? Oh, okay. Well, he was on staff when I was a student. But um, anyways, I got plugged in uh, to Emmaus, and I went out to New Philly, which is a church that New Emmaus is under. And yeah, I radically re met God through Emmaus in New Philly. At Emmaus in 2012, is a retreat called New Wine Retreat. If you go back to pictures on our Facebook, you'll probably see me. 
please don't do that. But uh, uh, yeah, basically at that retreat, I, I went through Healing and Deliverance, which is a ministry at New Philly where a kind of you're able to, you know, there's some of us, we hold on to sins and deep hurts and traumas and things like that that we've never told anyone because of shame, because it hurts, because we don't feel like we need to give it away. But Pastor Erin was speaking and she was saying, you know, like God wants to take that all from you. He doesn't want just the good parts of you. He wants everything, right? So you guys need to lay it down, right? And I was sitting there, I was like listening, and then God was very clearly flashing back like specific memories, right? You know, I told you I did a lot of dumb things. I fell into a lot of sexual sin. And God was like vivid pictures. And I was like, stop it, God. I don't want to see him anymore. But he was just making it very clear. Like, hey, Sarah, you need to let this go. Right? This is stopping you. I'm, clear, I'm making it clear because I'm making you see it again. You know, let it go. And so I was like, all right, all right, all right, God, I'll do it, I'll do it. Just give me a second. Like, let me just, you know. And then right then, Pastor Aaron gets on the mic again. And she's like, there's no need to wait. Just do it now. So I was like, oh, my gosh. It's like God speaking to me. So I went up, and I, 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 it was a staff member there, and I pretty much confessed things that I've never told anyone in my life. I, I've never even told God because, like, I was too scared. So anytime before, I kind of talk to God about it. In my mind, I'm like, hey, God, you know that thing that I'm thinking about right now? Yeah, that, those things, like, can you take it away from me, please? But I never fully gave it to God because I was so ashamed. I was so ashamed that God knows everything about us, right? He knows everything about you. He knew everything that I did, but even knowing that, I was still scared to give it to him, right? But that day was the first day I took a step of faith. I was like, God, I'm going to give this to you. So I did it. I confessed. I repented. I renounced. I turned away from it. I prayed praying a blessing over myself and you know i i never felt that much freedom ever in my life right and then um that same year i went to new philly new philly new philadelphia churches uh retreat and there um i encountered the presence of god like he became very real to me for the first time ever in my life i physically encountered god right and it was in that moment where my life was never the same right i can never just think god is just something in my mind because i physically felt him right? He became so real to me. And so um, that was, you know, my journey in, as a student in one year. That's what happened to me, right? And um, during that time, I made a commitment to God to serve him, right? So what did I do? I went back home, I graduated, and then I flew right back here in 2013. Um, and I served at KU, right, as an Emmaus staff for two and a half years, right? Up until last semester, I was at KU. You guys know KU is your, technically, they're your rivals. Did you guys know that? Yeah. You guys should love them, though. You know, love them. Um, but, yeah, you know, I never planned to be a full-time minister ever in my life. I was always wanting to do North Korean stuff, right? I had a heart for North Korean human rights. And so I always imagined myself doing that. I never planned to do full-time ministry. Um, but, you know, it was never my dream. It was never like, you know, when I grow up, I just want to be a pastor, Lord. That wasn't, that wasn't, not that it's bad, but that's just something that was never on my grid. But how did I get here? I just simply followed God's call on my life. He made it very clear that, Sarah, you need to do this. And it's not like I'm not going to give you the desires of your heart later, but I just want you to do this for me right now. Would you do it? And so I said, yes, Lord. And so now I'm here, right? And I'm here and I'm preaching to you guys, right? But following Jesus is not easy, right? When things get tough, right? When things get hard, it's not easy to say, yes, Lord, right? Right? Sometimes you just want to say, God, I can't do it anymore, right? You know, I can't do it anymore, right? But saying yes to Jesus is saying yes to all the good things and the bad things, right? Think about people when they get married, okay? Husband and wife, when they exchange vows, what does the, the preaching pastor person say, right? He says, uh, you know, he tells them, can you repeat after me? I take you to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, in sickness and in health until death do us part, 
right? It's saying I'm committed to you through the good times and the bad times, right? Just because things get hard, I'm not going to dump you and divorce you just because there's a little rocky stuff going on, right? No, you make a vow saying I'm committed to you in the good times and the bad times, right? That's the same vow that you make to God when you say yes to him. When you say yes to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I say yes to you, no matter what happens, I will follow you, right? And um, you know the good thing about saying yes to Jesus and being in this relationship with Jesus is it's not death till death do us part, right? Right? In human relationships, it's death to us part. You know, when we die, it's like, bye, right? But with Jesus, when we die, what's the good thing? We go to heaven and we say, what's up, Jesus, right? It's not till death do us part, right? We have Jesus until eternity, right? But I just want to tell you guys that every hardship and challenge that you face is an opportunity to draw closer to God, right? Okay, let's continue, right? Okay, if we continue on to chapter 22, right? Jesus is betrayed by Judas and Peter denies him three times. Okay, and then in chapter 23, Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate and King Herod. And at first, both Pilate and Herod, you know, they find him not guilty, right? All these people are saying, you need to hang Jesus. You need to crucify him because he's, you know, he's speaking and he's, he's like blasphemy, whatever, whatever, right? But um, both Pilate and Herod find no guilt in him. They're saying, there's no guilt in this man. I- I'm going to let him go, right? But the Sanhedrin council, right? These are men, all the religious leaders of Israel, they kept demanding no, 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 he needs to be crucified, he needs to be crucified. So they just gave in to the demands of the council, right? And so they crucified Jesus on the cross, right? Jesus wears a crown of thorns, he is whipped, his hands and feet are nailed, and he is crucified, right? He breathes his last breath, okay? And then immediately after that, we meet a man named Joseph of Arimathea, who was a mem- he was a member of the Sanhedrin council as well, right? And the Bible says he was a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God, right? So he loved Jesus, right? So he was on the council, but he didn't vote for, you know, he didn't uh, agree with the council's decision, right? And the thing is, normally it was a custom at that time for all crucified bodies to be, like, left on the cross and just rot, and for animals to come and just eat the flesh, okay? But what Joseph does is he goes to Pontius Pilate and says, can I have his body, right? Why? So he can wrap him up and give him a proper burial, right? So that's what Joseph does. He, he takes Jesus' body, he wraps him up in linen, right? And he puts his body in a tomb. And there were women with Joseph, right? They wanted to kind of like, you know, give Jesus a good burial. So they wanted to give him like perfumes and incense and stuff, but they didn't have time for that because they had to prepare for the Sabbath. And so um, they were going to just leave him there and come back the next day or the next time that they're available and do it, right? Um, and so let's take a look at Luke chapter 24. Can you guys take out your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 24? This is uh, going to be our main chapter, Luke chapter 24. All right, so I'm going to read verses uh, 1 to 3, 1 through 3 for you. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in and they did, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, right? So they go in and they try to, you know, they're going to give him, you know, decorate his body and give him, you know, incense and things like that. So he smells good. But they go and the stone is rolled away and Jesus' body is not found, okay? So verse 4 through 9, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Uh, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Okay? And so these women, they stand perplexed and confused. And it says that two men dressed in dazzling apparel, okay, begin to speak to them, right? And we can tell that uh, these two men dressed in dazzling apparel, are angels, okay? Just as angels announce the birth of Jesus, two angels are announcing the resurrection of Jesus, okay? So they ask, why do you seek the living among the dead, right? Basically, they're asking the women, why are you so surprised that Jesus is not here? You guys already heard before from himself that he will resurrect, right? He will get crucified, and three days later, he will resurrect, right? He will rise again. They already heard about it before in Luke chapter 13, So that's why after these angels said that to the women, it says that they remembered his words and they get filled with excitement. Why do they get filled with excitement? Because it means that Jesus was alive, right? It means that he triumphed over death. It means that every single thing that they had hoped Jesus was, he was, and much more than that, right? And so, uh, yeah, they were very ecstatic, right? So verses 10 through 12. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary of and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened, okay? So the women go and they tell all the apostles of the news, right? That Jesus is alive, that he resurrected, right? He's not there anymore. But all of the apostles and all the other disciples did not believe her, right? They... They didn't believe her, okay? But now we're going to move on to the road, uh, on the road to Mace account, okay? This is Luke chapter 24, verses 13 and onward, okay? Um, right? And so if you guys are lost, just stay with me, okay? We're going somewhere, right? I, I needed to explain all that for, for you guys, okay? So we're going to read verses 13 through 14, okay? I'll read it. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened, while they were talking, oh, 14, okay. Um, okay, so when I was reading this, it says them, right? It says, verse 13, uh, the very day two of them were walking to a village. Okay, so I'm just a very curious person. So I was like, who, who is them, right? And so I'll tell you guys, right? Them, they're just two disciples of Jesus. They're not famous apostles. They're just followers of Christ, okay? And so they are walking on this road, right, from back from Jerusalem to Emmaus, right? So all we know about Emmaus, right? I looked it up too. I was like, where is Emmaus? What, where is the city in now, nowadays? If you guys look up Emmaus, there's not much information. There's a lot of dispute about where it actually is. But all we know is there's Jerusalem, and it's connected by one road that is seven miles long to a city called Emmaus, okay? So these two disciples are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, okay? And so verses 15 through 16, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Okay? So as they were walking and talking, this man comes alongside him. It's actually Jesus, but Jesus disguises them and covers their eyes so they can't see, right, who it is. Okay? And verses 17 to 24, it says, And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? 
And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to, the, to be contemned, condemned to death and crucified him. But we have hoped that he had been, he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since th- these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as a woman had said, but they did not see. Okay? And so Jesus asked these two men, what are you guys talking about? Right? And these two men are very shocked. They're like, how do you not know what we're talking about? Right? This is like the news of the town that Jesus was crucified. And when they went back to the tomb, he's not there anymore. Right? And so they're, they're saying, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, right? What can we known for, note from them saying this, right? These men are clearly in a place of defeat and discouragement, right? Why? Because they had heard so much about this Jesus who was going to redeem Israel, that was going to come and save them, right? But they were really hoping that Jesus would do this, but at the news of his death, they lost all hope, right? Were they wrong in their hopelessness? No, not entirely, because it, their hope was misguided, right? They didn't know that their true hope was to be fulfilled in his resurrection, right? They didn't know that. And so they're moping. They're walking on this road, and they're sad, right? And so verses 25 to 27, I'm not going to read it, but basically Jesus teaches them, right? He schools them. He goes, hey, listen, right? And he talks to them about all the things, the prophecies about Jesus and all the things that happened in the Old Testament and, he, and all the things he predicted about his death and resurrection. He teaches that to them while he's still disguised, okay? So it's late at night, and they finally arrive in Emmaus, okay? And at this point, these two disciples are very amazed by this man. They're like, man, you are full of wisdom. It's very late in the night. Instead of just keep on going down the road, why don't you just stay with us, okay? And so Jesus stays with them. And as they're at, they're at a table, right, verses 30 to 34. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight, right? Then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Okay, And this is a thing to note about the breaking of bread. Why were their eyes opened? Why did they recognize Jesus when the breaking of bread happened? Right? It's because it's a Jewish custom. This is history class. Jewish custom to begin every meal by, by blessing, giving thanks, and breaking bread. That's just the way Jewish custom works. And so Jesus, of course, when he was spending time with his disciples, it's pretty normal. I'm sure he ate a lot with them when he was fellowshipping with them. And I'm sure he was the one that was presiding the meals often, right? So he was probably the one to break the bread and bless the meal. So when he did this, these disciples noticed who Jesus was. Because I'm sure there was a particular way Jesus blessed the meal and broke the bread. So the moment that he did that, they recognized, oh, this is Jesus He's with us right now. And that's how they realize, okay? And once they recognize, Jesus vanishes. And they say to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Right? Even though they didn't know that the man they were talking to was Jesus himself, as he taught them and opened up the scripture to them, their hearts got set on fire. Right? So what do they do in response? They get up, and after a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, 
They get back up and they run back another seven miles from Emmaus back to Jerusalem to tell everyone about the news, right? And this is the thing. This is late at night. This is probably like Sebeok, right? Really, really, that's like early in the morning, right? Crack of dawn, really late at night. Do they go to sleep and say, we're going to go up the next morning to Jerusalem? No, as soon as they hear that Jesus is alive, they get up and they run seven miles back to Jerusalem where they just came from to tell everyone of the good news, okay? So what is the point? Why did I literally just translate and, you know, like narrate this whole passage to you? Because I want to ask you guys something. I want to ask you, where on the Emmaus Road are you guys? Right? And let me explain. Okay, Luke chapter 24 is often seen as a model of the journey that Jesus makes with many of us today. Right? A lot of people use this model right, as our relationship with Jesus. Right? As he opens our eyes, as he points us to the word, right? as he reveals himself along um, life's walk as our redeemed Savior and Lord. Right? So I want to ask you guys, where are you on the Emmaus Road? Right? Have you even taken it? right? Maybe this is all new to you. You've never heard about Jesus before, right? That might be some of you guys. Or maybe you're Christian, but you're like me and you never really knew God, right? You never knew him personally. He was just there in my mind. I went out to Bible studies. I learned about him, but I didn't really have a relationship with him. I don't know who he is. I can't really say I believe in him because I don't really know who he is, right? You kind of know, but you're not convinced fully that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, Right? So you go about your daily routine doing the same old things, but you're still discontented inside and you don't know why, right? Maybe that's where you're, you're at, right? And you have a choice to make, right? Do you want to go down this amazed road with Jesus, right? Are you there? Right? Or are you on the road like these two disciples, right? I think most of you guys are probably here. You guys are on the road, Emmaus road, right? Where Are you where the disciples are where they were in kind of unbelief or hopelessness and disappointment because what you thought jesus was is not really happening what you had hoped jesus was to be when you accepted christ you look at your life today and you're like this is not what i thought this is not what i thought was supposed to happen right you feel like you're walking but you're not sure where you're going right yeah or maybe being christian is good and great right being christian is good and great but you've never experienced that heart burning sensation that these disciples felt when they were on the road, when Jesus was talking to them, when Jesus was teaching them, you've never, you never felt the fire of God, right? You never experienced that. Uh, you don't know what it feels like. You're yearning for the same encounter that these two disciples had, right? You want to be set on fire. You want to understand what makes you, you know, so on fire that you're going to run seven miles to go tell people about Jesus. What makes you do that, right? Right? And I think one thing I want to point to you guys here is that it says there were two disciples walking on the road right? It wasn't just one disciple walking down by himself, talking to himself. It was two disciples walking and talking about the things that had happened, right? Um, But it wasn't just two of them either. Jesus was there with them as well, right? Walking and teaching them as they were going, right? If you are here, you got to know that community is important, okay? Are you surrounded by people you can walk and talk with? Or are you by yourself, you know, doing life on your own, right? Are you willing to be vulnerable with people? Are you willing to share the deepest things in your heart? right? Or are you allowing Jesus to illuminate the scriptures to you? Are you in that place where you're allowing Jesus to examine your life, right? And you're giving him time and space to minister to you? Are you in this place? Do you recognize that Jesus is with you and has been with you all along, right? Are you on this Emmaus road, right? Or have you arrived in Emmaus, right? Some of you guys are already in the city. You guys have tasted and seen how good Jesus is, right? Our Messiah, our Savior, you guys have tasted and seen. You guys have been set on fire. And you're ready to go back to Jerusalem and testify what you've seen. You've experienced the heart-burning feeling 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? Some of you guys are here. You're in awe of his faithfulness. You know Jesus is good, but you're not really sure what to do now, right? It's kind of like, I know God is good, but what do I do, right? But here's the thing. When the two men run back to Jerusalem to the other disciples, uh, they, they're all gathered with all the disciples. Jesus appears to all of them, and this is where he gives them the commission to evangelize, okay? I don't know if you guys knew this, but it is right after the Emmaus Road account that Jesus lays out the Great Commission to the disciples, right? When you hear about the Great Commission, you think of the book of Matthew. So you go and you look at Matthew, and you see there's nothing about the Emmaus Road account in there, right? But if you look at Mark chapter 16, right, 12, verses 12 to 13, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. Those two disciples here are those two men from Luke, okay? And so right after this, road to Emmaus account, in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18, this is where Jesus is sitting with his disciples and gives them the command, right? The great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned, okay? Our response to this awakening, to Jesus setting our hearts on fire, on the Emmaus road is to obey the great commission, right? It's what we're called to do as believers. When you accept Christ and you're on fire for God, right, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, right? We're supposed to go back to Jerusalem's and our Jerusalems and tell people what we've experienced, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is faithful, that God is real, that he saves, right? That should be our natural response to this, okay? So my heart and hope is that for each and every one of you, whether you're new students, right, this is your first time you're in Korea, or my student leaders have been here for years, and they've heard probably the sermon preached many times, right? My heart for you guys is um, that you guys are so set on fire for God that your automatic response is to live a life that glorifies Christ, that lives a life, that you live a life that always points to Christ in everything that you do. That is my hope, right? That you can't help but tell others about Jesus because he's so good, right? Because he's so awesome, because you met him and you know he's real, right? But first, we need to know where we are on the Emmaus Road, okay? So at this time, I'm going to invite Pastor John up. I'm going to invite Pastor John up, right? You guys can close your Bibles. So I want you guys to kind of think about in response, where are you on the Emmaus Road, right? Where are you on your walk? Right? Are you on the road to Emmaus? Right? Some of you need to get on this road. Some of you guys need to embark on this journey. Right? Not just stay where you are, but commit and say, God, I want to go down this road with you. God, I want you to illuminate the scriptures to me. God, I want you to speak to me. Right? You need to know who Jesus is. But some of you are yearning for the same encounter that the disciples had on the road. Right? Some of you guys just need to be set on fire. Some of you guys just need that. Some of you guys just need boldness to exercise your faith. You guys have been set on fire, but you need boldness to exercise your faith. You need some fresh fire to be reminded of who Jesus is in your life. Right? So I want you guys to all stand. Please stand where you are. You guys can just close your eyes. Close your eyes. And I just want you guys to begin to pray and think and ask the Holy Spirit, God, where am I on this road? Am I I on the road to Emmaus? Right? 
Do I want to embark on this journey? Do I want to know who Jesus is? Or do I want to have the same encounter that the disciples had on this road? Right? Or God, do I need this boldness? Do I need this fire in my heart to be able to go and to testify and to tell everyone to live a life that it always points to you, Jesus? Right? I want you guys to examine your heart, your life, where you're at. And I want you guys to just make a commitment between you and the Lord today. Saying, God, I'm here, but this is where I want to be. And I make this commitment to you, God, today. Right? So you guys can just begin to examine. I want you guys to pray with your own mouth, with your own words, and begin to commit to God. God, this is what I want to do today. This is where I want to be. Let's pray.